We thank you, Father, for the privilege we have to study your word again, and we certainly thank you for it and ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, women ordination, just let me explain this to you. It's very simple. Um, there is no verse in the Bible that says that women are pastors. I haven't found it, can't locate it, uh, etc. Um, there is enough information in the Bible that the other, uh, what you would call false religions, had women pastors, what we call pastors today. They weren't called pastors in those days, they were called priests or priestesses. Uh, so in the, in the other other uh, uh, religions, there were, for example, the, some people argue that the, the culture was that women were not allowed to do anything. Well, that's not really true. Uh, for example, the Roman Empire uh, selected seven vestals or seven virgins. And these seven virgins were selected from the age of 13 and they were to serve for 30 years. And they were made priestesses of, uh, in Rome. And the Roman Empire believed that the prosperity of Rome depended on the chastity of these seven virgins. And if something went wrong with the empire, they would assume that one of those girls had violated her vow of chastity. And they would examine her. And whether or not what happened with Rome came directly from her being a, a, a violator of that vow, if they found her to be uh, not a virgin, they would bury her in the ground, body straight up and down, and the only thing sticking out of the ground would be the head. And that was, that was a punishment for these priestesses. Because they were allowed to have very high positions and they had great leadership in Rome. But they were supposed to be uh, maintain their uh, virginity until the 30 years were up. During that time, they could do business, they can do all sorts of things. They were very highly recognized in Rome. And that's something that most people don't talk about when they say, well, in those days, uh, things were different. Women were not allowed to do this or that. The truth of the matter is that women had a lot of advantage. The fact that Jezebel had the influence that she had in uh, Israel tells you that the women did have a lot of influence in the pagan and heathen entities. Yes, um, but the reality is that the fall of Rome, pardon me, the fall of Israel, the final, final step of the fall of Israel was when the women took up the work of the priests in Israel. Maybe you didn't realize that. No, I didn't. But in the book of Jeremiah, you'll find that the women will tell Jeremiah, we're not listening to you anymore. When we offered offerings to the queen of heaven, then we prospered. When we did it to God, we didn't prosper. So we're not going to do that anymore, Jeremiah. We're not going to follow you. We're going to follow the queen of heaven. And we offer incense. Offer what? Incense. Incense was only, come on in, incense was only permitted to be offered by priests. By what? Priests. By priests, okay? So anyway, uh, that does not mean, do you hear what I'm saying? That does that mean that I concur with some of the other interpretation that's not correct, and that is that women can't do anything in the church. The, the, the words of Paul, uh, let women be silent in the church, is misused. Because Paul said, let them ask their husbands at home. They're what? So who was he talking to? All women or married women? Which ones? Married women. Because if they were to ask their husbands at home, then they were married. So the counsel was not applied to all women. It was applied to married women. The reason for that is uh, I grew up half Catholic and half Jewish, okay? Uh, I used to go to the synagogue. 
And if you go to a synagogue, uh, the, the women are not involved in the worship of the men. They're separate. Even today. And I'm speaking about the Orthodox Jewish faith. Because there are three branches now. There's conservative, there's reform, and there's orthodox. So the orthodox are the ones that are still following the old uh, tradition. I'll get to you in just a moment. Uh, so the, if you go to a Jewish synagogue today, an orthodox Jewish synagogue, and the men are separate, you will not find women going in among the men to talk to their husbands. If you, uh, several years ago, when I went to Korea in the military, uh, in 1968, and you went to a Korean church, the women sat on one side, the men sat on the other side, okay? So for a woman to get up from among the women and go and sit among the men would be considered what? Appropriate or inappropriate? Inappropriate, exactly. And so there were certain things that were done in the time of Paul, that are still done today. And uh, for example, if you go to a Muslim uh, worship system, you will find the men bowing down, but you will not find the women among the men. Okay? It's just the way it is. And so for a woman to enter in to be among the men, it would be considered blasphemous. All right? It's not that the women are impure and all that, but that basically there's, there's a division, a separation that they make when it comes to worship, that the men go do it by themselves and the women do it by themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you? All right. So when Paul said, let the women ask their husbands at home, it's because it was that issue. And, and so Paul simply is addressing a principle of doing things decently and in order. order. That's all it was. All right, because if you read very carefully the book of Romans, you'll see that women and men prophesy. Women and what? Men prophesy. But where did Paul say that prophesying should be done? Inside or outside the church? Inside the church, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. All right? So the prophesying was to be done inside, and men and women did prophesy, and that prophesying was done where? Inside the church. So it was not that women could not participate it's simply that there was a, a, some women, obviously, that were, that were crossing the line, and Paul was simply writing through inspiration to put things in order. He wrote in his inspiration about tongues to put things in order. He wrote things about the lifestyle to put things in order. And when it came to worship, he did the same thing. And so God led the, by inspiration to give that counsel. So... The, uh, the idea that women cannot preach is not biblical because the counsel that God gives is that all should be preaching. How many? All, all should be preaching. All right, if I read the scriptures and it says, go ye, who is it talking to? It's talking to you. The difference in the scriptures is that there's a difference between function and role. Between what? Function and role. Function is preaching. Role is is minister, not ministering, but minister. And so, uh, in the Old Testament, only men could be priests. Only what? Amen. Only men can be priests. And when Miriam, who was a prophetess, challenged Moses on his position, God made it clear that Miriam, even though she was a prophetess, uh, was wrong. Right? So, there's clarity in the scriptures about those things. It's just that it, it had become such an emotional thing that has divided many, many churches. But in reality, biblically speaking, God wants all of us to participate in ministering to others for the salvation of their souls. What do you say? Amen. And that is not limited to men. My wife and I have trained many, many, many people, and I mean many people, in evangelism. Many people. And so men and women... And uh, we still train men and women. Why? Because soul winning is a function. Is a what? Function. And it should be done by how many? By all of us. Okay? Now, when you, think that when you talk about 
hell, the word hell is an interesting word, okay? Because the word hell is an English translation, or should I say a mistranslation, of two words in the, the Bible. And those two words are Gehenna and Hades. Now, so that you understand, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that subject because, it, you know, but you understand that those two words are burial places for the dead. What are they? Okay. One is the grave. The other one is a burning place. The one that's a grave had to do with people who could be buried. In the days of Christ, you had to have money to be able to get buried. If you didn't have money, you were poor, you had no place to be buried. And you know where, they, where you got buried? In the city dump. Where? In the city dump. How many of you, how many of you have been to the city dump? What do you see at the city dump? You see garbage, but what else do you see? Do you see smoke ascending up? Yes. Yeah. If there's many places, they still burn. All right. In New York City, they still burn. And the reason they, they burn is, is because there's, there was so much stuff to be buried that they had to do uh, minimize it. So they would burn it to minimize it, and then they would bury it with, with dirt. So they would... Uh, Burn and bury, burn and bury, burn and bury. So if you go to Jerusalem today, there's a place right now that they're excavating. It's the city dump of Jerusalem. And they're going down year after year, down, 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 down. And so uh, you either were burnt, your body was burnt, or eaten by the worms, or you were buried. So the two thieves were burnt. The thieves, when they, were, when they were crucified and their legs were broken, they would actually throw them over the hill into the city dump. And the city dump was burning. And the reason they broke their legs was to make sure that they would die from their infection, that they were, you know, the bruises and all that, uh, or exposure. And once they died, then the worms and the fire did their job. And that's the description that Jesus is using. Okay? So it says the worms will not die and the flame will not be consumed, uh, be smothered. It has to do with that scene of people being buried, basically, in a city dump. But if you were like Christ, who didn't have any money, he would have also been thrown to the city dump. Except that he had a friend who believed that he was the Messiah, and rather than being thrown over the city dump, they were able to put him in the tomb because he had money. Did you know that? So Gehenna is the, the grave, burn, and Hades is the... It's a burning place, yeah. Uh, Hades, Hades is the grave, isn't it? Huh? Gehenna is a place of burning, right? Gehenna is a place of burning. Hades is the grave, okay? So... When you use the word hell as a misuse of a term, it's actually a burial place, whether it be the city dump or whether it be in an actual gravesite. All right? So that's why uh, people wanted to be buried in a grave, because if you were not buried in a grave, it meant you were a great sinner. You were among the, the poor Slavs who were sinners. And according to the Jews, anybody who was poor was a was a sinner. They were cursed of God. Because if you were blessed of God, you would be able to be, have money to be buried in the right place. But if you were cursed of God, you got thrown in the city dump. Okay? So that's the problem with that. Now, just to help you to understand something more about death is this. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve to sin, he anticipated that he would gain them. All right? He did not anticipate that he would lose them. So, however, uh, he was stunned when God said to Adam, you will return back to where? To the dust. For out of dust were you taken, and unto dust shall thou re return. Correct? Yes or no? Yes. All right. Now, what's interesting about that is this. 
God said that the serpent would eat dust. So rather than getting human beings, the serpent got dust. Got what? Got dust. Okay. You understand? God had no intention of letting the devil gain the people. If he gained the people, ultimately what he would gain would be the dust. Okay? However, what's interesting is this also. That in the old times, people buried their treasures where? In the ground. So God said about his children that they would be his jewels. His what? Jewels. Jewels. Right? And then it says that when he cometh, he would make up his jewels. How many of you remember that song? When he cometh, when he cometh to make up his jewels. All right. Now, what's interesting about that then is that God buries his people in the ground. Jewels, exactly. God buries his treasure in the ground. Satan gets the dust, but God gets the jewels. Pardon me? Well, let me explain this to you about cremation, okay? There's only one example of people being cremated in the Bible. So there is an example of a cremation in the Bible, okay? However, the reason why people chose to be buried is because they believed in the resurrection. And many times they would be buried in a way that would be facing to the east, so that when they would sit up, they would be immediately look at the coming of Christ, at the resurrection. That was their concept, okay? So, the, however, the heathens always burned the bodies. If you go to India, they burned the bodies, etc. Because they didn't believe in a resurrection. So, is it a sin to get cremated? The answer is no. All right? Because, obviously, there are many saints that were burned to ashes. Is that true? Yeah. Many saints were burned to ashes. And so, if you're going to say that if, because you weren't buried, you're lost, that's not a biblical teaching. However, if you can get buried, it is a natural way to do it. If you can't get buried, for example, in New York, the, the average funeral in New York, what did I say? Yeah. The average funeral in New York is about fifteen to $20,000. Wow, that's a lot of money. Okay. It's 11000 here, here. But in New York, the burial places are very, very few. I mean, if you go to some of those cemeteries in New York, the graves are side by side. I mean, they're... And so the, the problem is that people can't afford to be buried in New York. So what do they do? They cremate them, all right? So you have situations where you have no alternative than to do something that you would prefer not doing. But in the event that you have to do it, then there's no condemnation for that. Is that clear? Well... The, the wonderful thing is that God says that he's registered in the book all your bones, right? And all about you. So you don't have to worry about it. You know, if we with computers know that we have recovery, correct? Amen. Yes or no? Amen. You go to the computer, you hide something there, and you, you finally recover it, right? You bring it back to go back to that time. If that's the case, then, if man can do recovery, certainly God can even do more. And so he will bring us back uh, and our bodies will be made eternal so that we will never have to die again. So anyway, the idea of, of uh, death or hell, the reason why it's such a contention is because the, the, they don't understand that the creator who created man was Jesus. Who was it? Jesus. Jesus. And if Jesus was the creator, he would know where people go. Is that true? Yes or no? Yes. All right. So Jesus says that he has the keys of yeah, hell. hell and yeah. death. Or death and the grave. Okay. So he has the keys to death and the grave. Correct? If he says that, then if you have the keys and you have the control, what do you say? Yeah. Not the devil, but Jesus has the keys. So if anyone should know where people go, it should be the creator. Correct? So you go back to Genesis and you find out what the Creator says. So when man fell, the Creator didn't say, because you sin, you're going to go to hell. Because you sin, you're going to go to heaven or limbo. 
But he said, because you sinned, you will return to the dust. earth, to the dust from, from which you were taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shall I return. So if the Creator said you go to dust, then why do people say you're going to heaven? Why do they say you're going to hell? They're contradicting the Creator's words. He said you go to, to the dust. And if you look at the word dust in the Old Testament, you'll see that it constantly refers to people dying and returning to the dust. Dust, dust, dust. All right? So, for me, that issue of hell uh, has to do with a misunderstanding of what the word actually means. And because people have assumed that there's a burning place, then they assume that people go to the burning place. Uh, but it cannot be a burning place because in the book of Revelation said that hell will be burnt up. So if it's a burning place, then you cannot burn something that, that burns, right? So if it is not a burning place, that's why it's burnt up. And it's called, hell then is the grave. The grave will be destroyed. Everything on this planet will be destroyed. The very element shall melt with fervent heat. So everything that has been used as a place for people's final resting place will be eliminated. And so the only final rest for God's people is not in the grave, but in the kingdom. Well, there's no question that people are doing all sorts of things to try to figure out how they can escape death. Well, the reality is that we know that the devil is doing everything possible to create a situation where uh, he can find the secret of life, and that's why he's doing all he's doing. Now, what I'd like to do to, uh, for you then is go through a particular doctrine that sometimes is challenging, and that's what is called the gift of prophecy. Would you like to go through that? Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the gift of prophecy. First of all, uh, in the Bible, in the beginning, there was no need for the gift of prophecy. <laughs> Why was there no need for the gift of prophecy? Because the, because the, the author himself was present. The what? Yeah, God was present. In other words, the gift of prophecy is only an ability that God gives to communicate to others that which God wants them to know. But he uses a medium or a go-between to do that. Some people call it a translator or an interpreter. Uh, I, I do a lot of evangelism, and oftentimes I have to use a translator or an interpreter. Sometimes I use an interrupter, but most of the time an interpreter. And so in Genesis and in, and in, and in uh, Revelation, you find then that in the beginning... There was no, quote, gift of prophecy. The reason for that is that the God himself was communicating with mankind, all right? So God speaks how? Face to face with man. And you remember later on when, when you're dealing with Moses that Miriam spoke against Moses and God said, if there's a prophet, I speak to them in dreams and in visions, but my, my servant Moses, not so. With him I speak face to face, all right? God's ultimate desire is to return us back to the time when he could speak to us face to face. I, uh, when my mother was alive, I would call her. Uh, I would be traveling, and she had no concept of distance. Um, so I would call, and she'd say, where are you, my son? And I'd say, well, Mom, I'm far away. Well, where is that? And I would say, oh, well, Mom, if you got in the car, I said, remember that you drove from, you got driven from New York to Florida? Oh, she said, oh, that was a long trip. <laughs> so I said, well, Mom, if you get in a car, you would have to be in a much longer trip than going from New York to Florida. And she would say, my, that's far. Okay. So I had to use something that she could relate to. Okay. And all, then she would say to me, you need to watch out for yourself, my son. Here I am, a father of children and all that, but to her, I was still her little boy. You know what I'm saying? So, but God spoke to face to face. And my mother would always say to me, 
I love talking to you over the phone, but I would rather see you face to face. All right? So, the face to face communion was broken when sin came in. And therefore, God had to devise something else. And by the way, my brother over there in the corner, uh, I forgot to give you the opportunity, but I'll do it at the end. So don't forget the question. All right. Uh, so man then desperately needed heaven's guidance. If he needed heaven's guidance while he was a sinless, he needed heaven's guidance now as a sinner. And so God had to create a way of communicating his guidance to his children who are now in a battlefield. And when you're in battle, oftentimes you have to write messages that may be coded. What did I say? You may have to write coded messages. Uh, like sometimes when I would write to my fiance, I had to be careful what I wrote because I discovered that the North Koreans were capturing our mail and then from over on the other side, they would call the name of whoever's mail they got, and they'd say, what are you doing here, John? Your mother's traveling up to Portland, and uh, you should be over there with your family. And of course, that poor soldier couldn't figure out, how did they know my mother was going to Portland? And they began to fear for their family, thinking that these, these people knew where their families were and would, would harm them. So it was called psychological warfare. What was it called? Psychological warfare. So we had to be careful how we wrote. Many times uh, people would write, he was in the army or, you know, the battlefield, they would write, tonight it rained very hard. It what? What do they mean by that? It meant we were bombarded. I mean, the bombs kept on coming. So tonight it rained very hard. And the wife would know what that meant, you know. He survived the bombardment, but it must have been quite, quite serious. All right, so if fallen man now needs the guidance of God more so than he needed it before he sinned, and God had already counseled him, you need to not go to that tree because if you go, you will surely die. Well, God then begins to reveal his counsels to what we call prophets. What? Prophets. Now, the Bible does not mention these people as prophets but we know that later on they're prophets because, for example, uh, when we talk about people like Adam, Adam gave his counsel to his children because Adam got his counsel directly from whom? From God. So if you get the counsel directly from God, you're pretty close to being a prophet, right? Okay, all right. Well, take care. Behave yourself. All right. Okay. <laughs> The, uh, then, of course, God then uh, revealed his truth through different people throughout the, the history. From Adam to Moses, God is given the word of mouth. The what? So the counsel is being transferred from uh, father to son by the uh, verbal communication. Then finally, God gave the written communication. In both cases, God anxiously given his children counsel as to what they needed to do in order to get from point A to point Z. Because they had been promised that salvation would come. And the focus of the people was always salvation. That's why in the Old Testament, there seemed to be women crazy about having babies. But the reason why they were crazy about having babies was not about babies. The reason why they wanted to have children was about the Messiah. The what? The Messiah. And any woman who was a believer wanted to have the privilege of bringing the Messiah to the planet. And so that's why there was constant, constant desire to have a man-child. Because the promise was that the Messiah would come through the what? Through the seed of the woman. Okay, so uh, all the way from... Uh, Adam to Malachi, we find both counsels. The first prophet mentioned in the Bible is Enoch. And he is called the seventh from Adam. The what? The seventh from Adam. And uh, the Bible says that he prophesied of the coming of Christ. So if you think that Jesus is delaying his coming, 
since your grandmother told you about it and he hasn't come, you think, what's wrong? How come he hasn't come yet? Well, you probably didn't realize that the coming of Christ had been predicted from the seventh of Adam. From when? So how long has that been? You waited a short time then, didn't you? From grandma or grandpa's time. This is from the seventh of Adam. Uh, basically about 3,500 years before Christ. Okay. So you have then Noah. And the Bible calls Noah a prophet. So you have Enoch called a prophet. You have Noah called a prophet. Uh, you also have women prophets in the Old Testament. You have uh, Miriam in the book of Exodus chapter 15 verse 20. She's called a prophetess. And Huldah is called a prophetess. And Deborah or Deborah, as some people say, is called a prophet. So what's that? Huldah. Yeah, some people may say Huldah, but it's actually Huldah. Okay? And some people say Deborah, but it's actually Deborah. Uh, but it's okay. If you call it Deborah, I'll understand who you're talking about. So, these women were also used by God as God's mouthpieces uh, to communicate the, the counsels of God to mankind. Which means then that God is obvious, obviously anxious for people to get his counsel. And he's willing to use men and he's willing to use women. In fact, most of us who have been brought up in this world have been counseled by a woman. Is that true? If you happen to have a mother, you had a woman counseling you. Whether you liked it or not, men. Okay. So, you have then the, the, uh, the channels... And I hate to use that term because now the, the uh, people into spiritism in Hollywood and all that are using the term channeling. Have you heard that term channeling? But the channel or the, or the medium, and I hate to use that term also because now the devil has taken the word medium and it's now in spiritism. So the link, they haven't used that yet, the link from between heaven and earth has been through Christ that has given the counsel of God through the prophets, through the Holy Spirit, through the prophets, unto the people. So God has uh, prophets and prophecies in both the Old Testament. You can see several occasions for prophecies. And you know then, for example, that Noah preached about the coming of the flood, didn't he? So you would call that prophecy, correct? But there were also in the days of Judges many prophets that were alive during that day, and God spoke through them. And that's where you find both the, the female prophets as well. Uh, so, if I'm going too fast, let me know. But I won't stop. Uh, I'll let you take a picture afterwards. So Abraham, then, uh, is the first one to actually be given time prophecy. What kind of prophecy? Time prophecy. Abraham was told that his posterity or his children would finally be in bondage after 400 years. After when? 400 years. And so the prophecy was given uh, to Abraham. And Abraham then and his children, that is uh, Jacob and Isaac, Jacob and the 12 patriarchs and all that, uh, understood that there was a time that was coming within the 400-year period that they would have find deliverance. And it's interesting that when the, the time was about to be fulfilled, God did something very interesting. So God gives a time prophecy, and the clock begins to tick, correct? Whenever God gave a time prophecy, the time began to tick. What you had to find out is when the time prophecy would start. That's what you had to find out. But if you could find out when it would start, then it was easy to find out where it would end. The challenge was always trying to find out where it would start. Okay? So it started here when God told Abraham that 400 years. So from the time of Abraham that God gave the prophecy, you then have to start counting until 400 years when his, his children would be in captivity and be delivered. 
So what's interesting about that is that God gave a time prophecy to a prophet, and when the prophecy was about to be fulfilled, God sent a prophet. All right? So 400 years, and then God sent another prophet. If you let's turn to Hosea chapter 12 so you can see what it says. Hosea 12, verse 13. Notice, when the time prophecy was about to be fulfilled, God raised up a, a prophet. And if you read the Hosea 12, 13, you would see then that it says that God did raise up another prophet. And who was that prophet? Did, did somebody find it? Hosea 12, verse 13. Hosea 12, verse 13. Okay, so by a prophet, he brought Israel out of Egypt. So did God call Moses a prophet? Yes. yes. So the prophecy had been given by the prophet Abraham. The time period now was coming to an end. And in order to bring attention to the fulfillment of that prophecy, God raised up a prophet to be, be the one that brought attention to the fulfillment of that time prophecy. Okay, you see that? Now, that's interesting because it reveals that there's some consistency with the way, the way that God operates. So, let's look at the next one. Uh, Jeremiah is given a time prophecy. This is before the destruction, the final destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, Jeremiah was given a time prophecy of 70 years. How many years? 70. 70 years. And it's interesting that when God was speaking through Moses, Moses was given a time prophecy as well. What was the time prophecy that God gave through Moses? 40 years. Each day for a year. Remember, the Jews were told to go into the land of Canaan. They refused. And God said, okay, you will be spending your time in the wilderness 40 days. Each day for a year. Which equal how much? 40 years. So God gave a prophecy. And by the way, by the time it was time for that to fulfill, what did God do? He lived, raised up another prophet. Who was that? Joshua. Who was it? Joshua. Joshua. The Bible says that God put his spirit upon Joshua so that Joshua could be the next leader of Israel into the land of Canaan. So God said 40 years, a prophet, and when the time was fulfilled, God raised up another prophet to bring the completion of that prophecy to bring the people into the land of Canaan. Can you see that there's a, a, a consistency here? Now, what's interesting is with Jeremiah, again a prophecy was given. And the question is, would this prophecy be fulfilled? And the answer is yes. But who was looking at the fulfillment of the prophecy? Well, it was a young man, and uh, the 70 years is something that Daniel then studied. And uh, he realized that God had predicted that there would be a 70-year period. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, if you read Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, you will see that Daniel is studying the 70-year prophecy of Jeremiah. Of who? Jeremiah. So... Again, a prophecy was given, and now you have a prophet looking at the fulfillment of the 70-year prophecy. Then God, in turn, takes Daniel and makes him a prophet and gives him another time prophecy. You see? Yes or no? And what was a time prophecy for Daniel? It was a 2,300 years beginning with what? With a 70-week prophecy that would be cut off or set aside for the Jewish people. So they had how many years to get their act together? 70 years, or in reality, 490 years, because the, the 70 weeks, pardon me, was a total of 490 years. Now, you should know that in the Jewish calendar, every month has 30 years. You did know that, right? Who did not know that? Who would not raise their hand for that? Okay. So, 30 years, how many? 30 days. 30 days in a month. That's why when it says 40 in two months, you multiply by 30. 
If you multiply 30 by 42, you get to what? Huh? 1260 years. That's later on, right? So, but if you multiply 30 by 70 weeks, what do you get? You get 2,300 years. All right, so here's another prophecy then that God gives through a prophet and the fulfillment is being looked for by Daniel and of course it is fulfilled. The people of God began to be sent back to Jerusalem. And you find uh, then Nehemiah, you find uh, Ezra, you find other people who uh, benefit from that fulfillment of that prophecy. So then the 2300 year prophecy was given and that prophecy would start with the 70 week 490 day prophecy which pointed to the Messiah. The first part of that prophecy that God gave included when the, the clock would begin to tick, how much time it would take until the anointed one would come, and uh, the time that he would last with his uh, ministries, half of the week, and then that he would die in the midst of the week, according to Bible prophecy. So then everybody began to study the prophecies of Daniel, and unfortunately, because the book of Daniel reveals things that the Jews don't agree with, they have put a curse on reading the book of Daniel. But the book of Daniel uh, reveals that there is a son. There is a what? A son. And to the Jew, that's an enigma. Anyway, it should know it should not be an enigma because God told them to have children. So 457 years, the clock begins to tick. And uh, finally, 400 years uh, between Malachi and, uh, and Matthew, there's silence. The reason there's silence is because there's a time prophecy that the time is clicking. It's what? Clicking. Until finally the 490 years get fulfilled. So, the prophet John then, uh, the, uh, the Baptist, brings attention to the time prophecy. And it's interesting in his words, he said the time is fulfilled. The what? Time is fulfilled. Why did he say that? Because he knew that the prophecy had been given by a prophet and the time was up. Okay? The time is fulfilled. So what's interesting again, God gives a prophecy to a prophet Daniel and when it comes to be fulfilled, he raises up another prophet. Who was that? John the Baptist. Okay. And Jesus himself said about John the Baptist, there is no greater prophet than John the Baptist. So all of this that's happening is called the gift of prophecy. The what? The gift of prophecy. It simply means that God gives a special gift through selected people to reveal his counsels to people. So this is divine counsel given through men to be given to the people. And it's called the gift of prophecy. Okay? The way we sometimes use the gift of prophecy is not really kosher, if I can use a Jewish term, uh, simply because uh, we limit it only to the writings of Helen White. The gift of prophecy is not limited to the writings of Helen White. Ellen White is part of the gift of prophecy. Do you understand what I mean? Yes or no? All right. So the gift of prophecy is the total gift that God has given to people through the writings of the prophets, including, of course, the writings of Mrs. White, which we'll deal with in a little time uh, ahead. Yes, sir. Didn't Jesus also refer to this, the 490 years when Peter said, how many times do I forgive? And Jesus said 70 times. Seven. Yeah, 490, that's God correct. making atonement for Israel for 490 years. That's correct, that's correct. Yeah. And Moses had said, another prophet shall arise like me, whom you shall listen to. And that prophet was Christ, okay? So, there's no question that God gives a prophecy, a time prophecy, through a prophet, and then it becomes fulfilled. And by the way, let me share this with you. Jesus had to fulfill 333 prophecies. How many? 333 prophecies. Now, the reason I'm bringing this out to you is because 
God wanted to make sure that no one could take the place of his son. How many? No one. And the only way to guarantee that was through prophecy. Through what? Prophecy. Let me explain to you the, 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 the probability. The what? The probability of somebody fulfilling 333 prophecies. All right? In other words, some of these prophecies were given 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years before it happened. Like the Messiah was predicted that he would start in Genesis, right? And he would come. So there were many prophecies that have been given about the Messiah. It speaks about how his bones would not be bro broken. It speaks about that his friend would betray him. It, it even writes about the words that he would say on the cross. My God, my God, what has thou forsaken me? It speaks about where he would be born, etc. Now presently today, there are several people who claim to be Christ. Today. There are two in Japan, one in the Philippines, and there was one in, in Miami, Florida. He happened to be Puerto Rican, and he claimed to be Christ. Any of you heard about him? You missed, you missed the Christ. Huh? I forgot his name, but anyway, uh, he was from Puerto Rico. The problem with that is, is that the fellow in India who claims to be Christ, the two guys in, uh, in Japan that claim to be Christ, and the guy in the Philippines who claimed to be Christ, all are disqualified just by one, one reason. They were born in the wrong place. Because it says the Messiah would have to be born where? Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. And India does not qualify for Bethlehem. You understand? And Puerto Rico certainly does not either. All right? So, to, for one person to fulfill f just 48 prophecies. How many? 48. 48 prophecies. For one person to fulfill 48 prophecies would be one chance in 457 uh, to the 457th power. That means then that the individual would have to have one chance in 457 uh, to the 10th power, which means you have to put 10 zeros after the 457, okay, in order to be able to uh, satisfy that prophecy. So what's the chance of the one person? 10 uh, times itself, 456 times. That's right. You take, you, you take uh, that's correct. So uh, it would be the same as if you took all the state of Texas and you fill it two foot deep of silver coins, all the state of Texas, you cover it with two foot deep of silver coins, you mark one of them, and you throw it someplace in the state of Texas, and then you blindfold it one person, and he had one chance to find it. What are the chances? None. Zero. Nada. Okay. So, in other words, God used prophecy to so lock in the true Messiah that no other could, could uh, be the Messiah except one. And that is Jesus. And the people said? Amen. Amen. Okay, now, are you seeing the role of prophecy now? The importance of prophecy. Now, here, let's continue on. All communication then between heaven and earth came through? Through Christ. In Revelation 1.1, it says that it was given from the Father unto the, fa the angel, pardon me, the Son who gave it to the angel, who gave it to John, uh, the beloved. So all communication came from heaven through Christ. Christ is the actual link that connects heaven and earth. And that's good news. So all the prophets and, and prophetesses of the Old Testament and including the New Testament... We know there were prophets of the New Testament, correct? We know there was Anna. Yes or no? Was she a prophetess? Yes. What about uh, the Philip? Did he have any daughters? How many? Four. And what were they called? Prophetesses. Okay. So there were prophetesses. I'm talking about the New Testament. We already covered the Old Testament. So we see then that the gift still continues, but remember there's a prophecy that goes beyond the cross. And what is that prophecy? Well, the 2300 years. It also has to be fulfilled. But if God's going to be consistent, what does he have to do? All right. So that prophecy ended when? 1844. So you have to then look for a prophet when? 
1944, exactly. That is why, it's interesting, that is why there, there are three main denominations that rose up, four, should I say, that rose up in 1844, period. There was the Seventh-day Adventists with the prophets. There was the Mormons with the prophet. There was the Christian Science with the prophet. And Jehovah's Witness with the prophet. These four denominations are the ones that came up in that time period that became mainline denominations across the, you know, and the globe who had prophets. Okay, which is interesting. So they claimed to have the gift of prophecy. All right. So if that's the case, then, then you have a challenge, which is the true one, right? And that's why you have to go to the commandments, to the acid test, to the law and to the testimony. testimony. What testimony? What does the testimony mean? Huh? Testimony has to do with the gift of prophecy. With the what? All right. So that's why it says to the law and to the testimony. It has to do with the testimony of the prophets. Of the what? Prophets. So in order for you to know the true prophet and the true church, you have to know what the, the testimony of the prophets were. Okay? Do you understand? So you cannot come to the right conclusion unless the Spirit of God leads you to the prophecies that point to the correct denomination and to the correct Messiah. That's correct. All right. So the gift of prophecy then will be given until when? Until the end. And so in Ephesians 4, 11, 13, it says that, that the, the, the gifts were given... To make man perfect, unto a perfect man, until the coming of Christ, all right? So we know then that the spiritual gifts will continue. So John the Revelator was the last of the New Testament prophets, A.D. 96. And so that brought a conclusion to the canon. To the, it's called the canon uh, as the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So we have then the testimony of the prophets or the gift of prophecy. And that's why in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, it says that the devil was wroth with the, who went to make war with her, of a seed which, and have the, ah, there you have the seed, the testimony, right? All right, and then Revelation 19 says what? 10, it says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. See? In other words, it has to be in harmony with the entire gift of the prophets. If it's not in harmony with the entire gift of the prophets, there's something wrong with that teaching. Yes, sir. So a light came on. Daniel 8.14 defines when the time spoken of in Malachi 4.5 occurs. Ding! <laughs> okay, so... We see then, we, we see then that God has been consistent in giving time prophecy and raising a prophet. Time prophecy and raising the prophet. Or sometimes a major event would take place. Say what? Major. A major event would take place. For example, we know that there's a 1260 day prophecy, right? And in the 1260 day prophecy, there was supposed to be a major event to take place. That is that the beast would receive a what? A deadly wound. Correct? Okay. And there were people in those days who understood that. I don't have time today, but I could show you if you... you ever been to Germany? Any of you have been to Germany? Have you been to Nuremberg? If you go to Nuremberg, if you go to Nuremberg, the uh, Rathaus, the Rathaus of, the, of Nuremberg is still standing even though the war went on. And what's interesting is that and there are four doors. How many? Four, four entries into that city hall, what it actually is. Above each door, there are statues that have been uh, put up there. The first one is a statue of a Babylonian emperor. And behind him is a lion with wings. On the next side is a Persian headdress male, with a bear behind him. The next one is a 
Grecian headdress individual with a Grecian headdress and a four-headed leopard behind him. The next one is a indescribable beast with ten horns and uh, pardon me, a Roman uh, man with a Roman headdress and an indescribable beast with ten horns. And that, that that was built in about the 1500s, 1600, pardon me, still standing. And the sad thing is that people walk by there and see those things, don't know what they represent. Okay. Okay. But, the, but the people who did it knew what it represented. It represented the, the images, uh, representing the powers that would come up and go down, come up and go down. The Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and finally the last beast, which is indescribable. And what's interesting is that it has a middle horn with a face of a priest on it. If I have time, I'll show it to you later on. Okay, so the, the uh, gift of prophecy then represents then the, the entire gift of inspiration that God has given through the prophets. Okay, all right. So if God had to raise up a prophet then, that means that that prophet is just as valuable as these prophets. What do you say? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Because God, every time he raised up a prophet, he did so for the salvation of his people. And so if God is consistent, then he's going to bring up a prophet. Now, the problem is this, that from this time forward, the Bible says there's time no more. The what? Which means that there are no more time prophecies. What did I say? So people who are trying to come up with the, with the trumpets and all that and tell you there's three and a half years to go and to come and all that, do not believe them because according to the prophet, there is time no more. No more time prophecies. Which means then that the, the remnant of the gift of prophecy was given to us to take us all the way through to the time of trouble until the end. So what God's people have today in the gift of prophecy through the writings of Mrs. White is what God intended to help us to go through until the final end. We should not have to look for another prophet. Uh, the reason why, it's interesting, that during this time, the intra-testament time, there was no prophets given. 400 years of silence. Why? Because they already had plenty of prophets. They were supposed to listen to the prophets. And what does the Bible say? My people are destroyed for what? But where did they get the knowledge? From the gift of prophets. <laughs> if you don't listen to the prophets, you're not going to get any knowledge. Yes, sir. Okay, Joel, turn to uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. What time is it now? Huh? Boy, I'm, I'm over time. But Acts chapter 2, turn there quickly. And look at verse, look at verse uh, 14. Look at verse 14. You got five minutes yet. I have five minutes. Look, look at verse 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. What does it say? But Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all the ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known to you and hearken to my words. Okay, and then verse 15. For these are not drunken as ye suppose received, seen it, but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Ah, this is what is spoken by what? Prophet Joel. Prophet Joel. Then read it. it what was spoken? In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids, I will pour out those in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Okay, so the people don't know what's going on. And Peter says, I'm going to explain to you what this means, right? And so to give the explanation, he turns to whom? To Joel the prophet. And he's saying to, to them, what is happening right now was predicted by Joel. 
See, what we do with that prophecy, we try to translate it all the way to our time. But the initial application is not to our time. The initial application is the time of Christ. There may be a dual meaning, but the primary meaning is for the time of Christ. Because here, here's the thing. Most of the time we read that and we, we don't think that it applies to Christ. But think about it. Were there young people having visions and dreams in the days of Christ? Yes or no? Who? Mary. Who else? John the Baptist. Were all people seeing visions, having dreams? Who? Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, Anna. Were there signs and wonders going on in the days of Christ? Absolutely. Was there blood? Yes. Was there darkness? Yes. When was that darkness? At the cross, you see. You understand? In other words, the Spirit of God has led Peter to make the application of that prophecy to the days of Christ. And if you read the next verses, you'll see that Peter makes the application. He said, look, these are the prophecies, but this is what it means. You men of read it. Yeah. No, no? Okay. And I will show you wonders in the heavens above and the signs of the earth and the blood and the fire and the vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great noble day of the Lord come. Uh-huh. And? It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call the name of the Lord shall, shall be, be saved. saved. Okay? That's the prophecy. Now, the application, verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him. There you have it, by miracles and wonders and signs, right? So that ye yourselves also know him being delivered by the, the, the determined, determined counsel and the foreknowledge of God. You have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. Okay, so that prophecy was actually a fulfilled when? That's your interpretation. That's the problem. But, but I have to ask you this question. Who's right? The Spirit of God or you? And I'm not trying to put you in the position, but think about it. If you say then that it's different, then you're, you're contradicting what Peter says. No, no, but I'm saying, if you say, well, what about the great day of the Lord? What it's actually saying is that the great day of the Lord did come in the person of Christ. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that there will not be a reapplication of that prophecy, but I'm saying that the primary application is a fulfillment of what would happen to Christ. Then Peter t- turns to the second prophet, and that's David. And it says, uh, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou here on my right hand till I make thine enemies a footstool. Okay? And then Peter says, Men and brethren, I want you to understand this. That this Jesus whom you crucified, the Lord has made both Lord and priest. In other words, Acts chapter 2 is focusing on Jesus. We focus on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is only 13 verses, and the rest of the chapter is about Jesus. Okay? So, what's taking place is that there is a prophecy, you're correct. But that did not have a time prophecy. It was a prophetic explanation of what would take place at a certain period of time. And the only way sometimes prophecy can be uh, told that they have been fulfilled is when you look back. Sometimes you cannot tell the day until they actually happen. But when it comes to time prophecy, then you have to look for the actual time. Does that make sense? So you have a prophecy that is, that is actually fulfilled in the days of Christ, but there'll be a dual application that will come. And there are sometimes some prophecies like that. There were conditional prophecies as well that could have been fulfilled but were not fulfilled because the people did not do what they were supposed to do. All right? Does that help you? Okay, so here you have then the wonderful gift of prophecy given to us by God, covering the entire Bible, and you can see then finally... Ultimately, after 1844, we then have Ellen White, who becomes a modern-day prophetess at the end of the 2300-day prophecy, which is ended in 1844. So the test of the prophet, then, 
uh, there are several tests that you can give to a prophet. Correct? And so once you know that there's a gift of prophecy, then you have to trust it. Now, let me ask you a question. According to the Bible, you have different spiritual gifts. Is that true? Yes or no? Okay. You have the, the gift of tongues, right? Which represents what? The mouth, right? Yeah? You have the, the gift of preaching, which is represented by the foot shod with the gospel of peace, correct? The feet going someplace. Uh, then you have the gift of prophecy. So what represents the gift of prophecy then? And according to 1 Samuel 9, 9, it says in those days, the prophet would call what? Seers. So the gift of prophecy is compared to the sight. Okay. So if a church does not have the gift of prophecy, what is it? Blind. That's correct. So it must have the gift of prophecy, which is, by the way, the gift that's above the other gifts. And the, our greatest want, which we're told by the spirit of prophecy, is the spirit of God that gets a prophet. Okay. So, so that's so, basically saying our church is rejecting our prophets. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you're dealing with a gift that God has given to bring salvation to individuals. If you take heed, listen to the prophets, then you prosper. If you don't listen to the prophets, then you don't prosper. Right? That's right. Okay. So... That, that's correct. So God has given us a blessed, blessed counsel. And I'm so thankful for the gift of prophecy throughout the scriptures because it, it, it reveals to me what happens to the dead. It helps me to know there's a heaven. It helps me to understand how to take care of my body. It gives me comfort. It gives me direction. It gives me values. It gives me principles. I mean, the gift of prophecy, uh, in, in, and I'm speaking about the entire gift that God has given to us, has been there for the blessing of God's people. And if we follow the counsel that God has given to us, we prosper. There's no question about it. If we don't, we have the opposite. We have the curses. All right? So here's the whole picture. If you want to take it, go ahead and take it. And your, your hand, sir. But let us pray together. Loving God, we're so grateful for all that you have in your word, especially for the gift of prophecy that has been such a blessing to all of us. Help us to take heed and to listen and to implement into our lives those counsels that you have given to your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.